they call the after lunch the graveyard shift. <laughs> Simply meaning Mother's Day, lots of food, dessert. If you didn't have coffee with caffeine in, then you're going to make my work harder tonight. But this is not true. Eh? Oh, the bags, we're going to do offering. Okay, amen. Offering in our hands. Everybody say, cheerful time. Yes, amen. Let's say, Father God, we bring our tithes and offerings, our sending into the harvest field. Now hang on, let's stop. We're going to have to start again. A little bit more enthusiasm. This is cheerful time. Um, all right. We don't give compulsively. We don't give because we have to. We don't give because we feel we're cursed if we don't. We give because it's a wonderful privilege to see other people receive the gospel. Amen. Amen. So whether you give by internet and you just take your hand and you, as a, as a sign and symbol of your giving, you say, Father God, thank you for this privilege of sowing into the kingdom that many will hear the gospel and through this local church, be brought into your kingdom. Through the preaching of this wonderful message, I commission this seed in my hand to bring forth a great harvest for your glory. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless as you do that. Thank you. All right. Have you ever heard someone say to you, you just got to learn to be yourself? Very important that. Um, if we're so busy trying to be like somebody else, who's going to spend their life trying to be like us? Or as Miles Monroe, I think, once said, if, you, if you're born genuine, why die as a photostat or a photocopy? So, I want to share just around that subject tonight, learning to be yourself. Because that's the best you can be. And that's what everybody's wanting. Amen? For you to be yourself and to be the best self you could be. So, so we're going to, just as an introduction, look at what God intended around us being ourselves. Because He made us in His image. I love that picture that in creation, God, when he, when he made birds, he, he spoke to the skies. When He made fish, He spoke to the waters. But when He made Himself, He spoke to Himself. God created birds for the air, fish for water, animals on the ground, but he, you and I, He made in His image. He said to Himself, let us, we came out of God, unlike the animals in all creation. Then we we faced with the tragedy of man wanting to become what he had already been created to be. He was already created in God's image, already created to have community with God, to have fellowship with God, but he succumbed to the temptation when the enemy said, if you eat of the knowledge of of good and evil, you will become like God. And somehow, and that's a complicated subject and many interesting facets to that, man plunged into what we call the fallen state. And in his fallen state, he died in his relationship to God and he became bound to the physical realm through his senses. So his only commune with reality was what he could taste, what he could smell, what he could touch, what he could hear... And man found himself in, in that predicament. That became who he was. Just this physical body in this terra firma trying to make a way, trying to earn a living, working by the sweat of his brow, defending off thieves and robbers, doing the best. And from time to time in Scripture we see someone had faith, almost a gift from God to be able to relate to God, like Noah, like Abraham like the patriarchs of old, that God somehow preserved the seed because when man fell, he didn't just say the end to the story, which would have sorted the whole thing out. 
but He put a plan into being of redemption, of salvation, through the faith of Abraham, through the nation of Israel, and ultimately down to Christ. And this is the Gospel. So I want to come back to my preposition tonight, learning to be ourselves. But which self? Because although we were created in God's image, we fell from His image. I um, grew up with the same name that I've got right now. It's quite profound, I know. It sounds much deeper than... Um, I, I was always Steve Wheeler. But I grew up in a family who... And Sherwin will remember some of my family in Springs, the Bruisers. They were a serious golfing family, had a big reputation, a very big family, very popular, very well-known, kind of ran the show in the golf industry in Springs. That's my claim to fame. And growing up, I was always so much wanting to be a bruise. So I would often cross my fingers and lie and just, you know, be a bruise. And and I always found it difficult when, when being introduced to people or this is Benny and Jill's son and, oh, you're Steve, Steve Bruise and I'll have to correct them and, and it was like an awkwardness. Because growing up, I really wanted to be a bruise, but I was a wheeler. And it was confusing. And sort of an identity I was searching for, but couldn't find. And didn't matter how much I tried to imitate the family, I couldn't become like them. Because we are who we are by birth, not by imitation. You get that? We are who we are by birth, not by our behavior. So, as a person walking on earth today, trying to be a Christian, we can admire a Christian, we can want to be a Christian, we can think being a Christian is cool, and we can look at Christ and try and imitate Him, and try and do everything He did, and memorize His words, memorize what He said, try our best, formulate some rules around us, and some very kosher Christian living, and We can never be a Christian because you've got to be born again to be a Christian. Birth determines your identity, not how you behave. I could try and behave as a bruise. I could talk like a bruise. We could go play golf as a bruise, nearly. I could try and go skiing. I I could do all that. But when you took my birth certificate, I wasn't a bruise because behavior isn't what made me a bruise. I had to be born a bruise. And as a person on earth, to find our true self, which Christ came to restore, we cannot do it by trying to imitate Him. We cannot do it by trying to put on His behavior and His mannerisms and belong to a certain club. You can sleep in a garage, doesn't make you a car. You can go to... You got the point. So... What self are we talking about? In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Here is our new identity. Our new identity is in Christ. It's to be born again where that which was dead to God in first Adam, fallen Adam, Adam, lost in his own sense world, bound by what he could taste, what he could touch, what he could smell, what he could think about, his emotions, bound in that small little world, that's all he could relate to. Because his spirit was dead to God. Have you found that when you talk to some people who are, who are cut off from God, there's no God consciousness, they think you're crazy. Go to church on the weekend when you could be at the beach surfing with your mates. What? You didn't get bombed at the party the other night? Are you crazy? The stuff was for free at the wedding reception. You didn't get slammed. Doesn't make sense. Why? Because it's taste, touch, smell, see, and the connection to God is lost until we're born again. First Adam, we're dead. We cut it from God. It's only by being born again that we receive a new identity. And the Bible speaks about us being in Christ. 
In fact, the Bible speaks about us being in Christ more than it talks about Christ being in us. We talk a lot about Jesus. Is Jesus in you? Receive Jesus into you. Christ in me. Yeah, the Bible does talk about that. It talks much more about us being in Him. It's like that illustration I always use with my Bible. You're familiar with that. Here's us. Crumpled up old hundred grand. Pretty stinky as well. Cut off from God. Dead to Him. Through first Adam's sin. Dead spiritually. In Christ, we made a life. We have a new relation to God now. We have a new relationship to God. When Jesus was crucified, the Bible says we were in Him. When He was buried... We were in Him. When He was raised from the dead, we were in Him. That's not just figurative. That's real. Just look with me. Colossians 3 verse 3. Coming up. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Or don't you know that... All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And it didn't stop there, but Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and your spirit has been born again, you've received a new nature, a new heart, according to the new covenant. Your mind has received the, the, the word of God, the law of God, the love of God. Your heart has been changed. God relates to you as in Christ, His death, His burial, His ascension, His being seated in heavenly places. Now, all this took place when we were born again, when we put our faith in Christ and something changed in us. That it was represented at our baptism. Our baptism didn't save us, but our baptism was an outward symbolic show of what actually happened. So, I hope they welcomed you to your own funeral when they baptized you. And it was a proper dunking session, not just a little... Special to you. But Jesus got properly buried and properly raised. Okay? Now, I say all this as an introduction to ask this question. If it's true, and we've been talking about this for some time, about this wonderful gospel message, totally by grace, unearned, nothing we could do to earn it. We could not imitate. We could, we could not... Uh, try and shadow being what a good Christian is. We had to just receive it by faith, be born again, have our connection related to Him, so that we would be raised to heavenly places with Christ. Father's relationship to us now, He sees us completely in Christ. Whichever angle you looked at, you are in Christ. And this is the miracle of the new covenant. Because someone might say, Jesus is 100% righteous. So no one sitting in this room is 100% righteous. Wrong. The Bible says Jesus was made to be sin. That was a bigger miracle to happen. Jesus became sin on the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. That's what the Word says. Now that's what we've come to believe. That's what we've come to grasp. And you see, if, if we don't struggle with the fact that Jesus became sin for us, why should we struggle in believing that we became 100% righteous in Him? If we're sitting here tonight and we're doubting in our hearts that when God looks at us, He sees us not just positionally through like little Jesus glasses as righteous, but sees you righteous, 100% righteous, 100% sanctified, holy in His sight. If we cannot believe that, then we need our minds renewed by the Word of God. That's why we're preaching this message over and over and over. Because until we come to believe that, we're only walking in a watered-down version of the Gospel. Hello? 
We need the full gospel to work in our heart to bring about what He wants. Now we're starting to believe this. We're preaching it. Some people are a bit slow in catching it. Some people are a bit fast in saying, I wish you would hurry up. I'm going to go sit in the car and play crossword puzzles if you do this sermon once more. Amen? Nobody here because you all here. I'm talking about the guys in the car. So, so we're coming to believe this. Now, this raises a question. Here's my preposition. If that's true, you have now discovered your new identity. It's an identity you're born into. It's an identity uh, that's completely new. 100% righteous. 100% new creation in Christ. All things are passed away. The new you is the real you. If that's true, the obvious question that comes up is, why do we still sin? Because just because you a new you, 100%, just because you 100% the righteousness of Christ, doesn't make you sinlessly perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to spend the rest of your Christian life not sinning. You say, well, maybe, you know, isn't that what Jesus came to do to perfect me so I'll never sin again? Well, then he wouldn't have done a good job. Hello? Because if you have been a Christian longer than about 30 seconds, you know that you get wrong thoughts, get wrong attitudes, say bad things, do stupid things, and all the rest, because sin is still a real thing. So how do we, and, and this is, this is the, the, the preposition, which I'm still trying to work through here. Will you work with me? Will you help me a bit? Come on, don't make it hard for me. Yeah, like an amen smile. Like, hey, we're really here, you know. Is, I believe all this stuff about the new me, the new you. I want you to be, I just want you to be you. The, the true you, the new you. So what is this thing we, we struggle with? And uh, the first thing we've got to look at is, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Because our dear friend, the Apostle Paulus, had a similar challenge. He realized just putting laws on himself wasn't going to make him better. Have you discovered that? The more rules and laws and rituals and regulations you try and live up to, the worse it gets. Okay. So, so he finds himself in a bit of a predicament over here in chapter 7. And from verse 14, he says, I know the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Shoo, strong words. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Come on, Paul, take responsibility. Interesting. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I found this Lord work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my innermost being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, working, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Now whether you say that was Paul before his conversion or Paul after his conversion doesn't really matter. Because any believer who lives under rules, regulations, laws and has to's is going to eventually find himself in that place. You hear me? I'll come back to that if you don't believe me. He finds himself in a wretched position in his heart he wants to do good. He realizes he can't carry it out. And then he goes on, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ my Lord. So he found that hearing was the answer. And chapter 8 then expounds this 
from verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. The first thing that had to happen is he had to have condemnation lifted off his life. While you've got the law peeping over your shoulder, there's guilt, condemnation and shame. He had to get to a stage where he believed that in Christ he could receive 100% righteousness and that all condemnation would be taken off his life. Verse 2, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And here's where I'm really going with all this. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so He condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to to the Spirit. So someone's mind's going, oh, you see, there you go. You see? Sinful nature. Now there's one problem here. I shared it last week. I can't remember last week or the week before. That the NRV is a very good translation, except here and there, they, they, they took a word and they didn't give it its true content or true meaning. And one of those words is the word socks which is the word flesh, which the NIV has translated sinful nature. In some contexts, it's not harmful to translate it sinful nature, as it is in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits, the fruits of the flesh. It, it shows the sinful nature. But in this case, it can lead into problems when you do interpretation. And that's why in all the other major translations, it's translated flesh. In fact, even in the NIV, there's a footnote there that says flesh. And by putting the word sinful nature, it's clouded the whole subject of flesh. Because flesh is not necessarily always sinful. And that's where the interpreters have done us a bit of a disservice. Is, if, you, if you're not with me, just hang around a, f- a few more Sundays and we're going we're gonna to get this all clear. Um, I remember I was always intimidated by this word, the flesh, as a young Christian. That in the church I got saved in, was, brother, watch out for the flesh. Oh, your hair is getting too long and your colors are too bright. It's the flesh, brother, it's the flesh. Watch out for the flesh. I was always scared of this thing called the flesh. Well, you know. Now, the flesh is just... The part of man that we have with us that still relates in this terra firma called universe through its five senses and through its memories and hopes and dreams. And it's, but it's not the real you. The flesh is the part of you that, that's still with you, but it's not the real you. And that's important to understand because if we interpret that sinful nature, then we go through our Christian lives feeling like, no, I've just got the sinful nature. When the Bible actually says, no, you're a new creation in Christ. He's given you His new nature, which is His Holy Spirit. So actually, the real you is the you that's been created and restored into Christ's image. That has been declared righteous, that is righteous. The real you that wants to love Jesus. That wants to, when you're quiet in a place of worship, just have intimacy with Him. It's the real you. It's the you that when you stand and look at a, a breathtaking view of mountain peaks or a sunrise or sunset and something in you springs up and goes, Oh, Daddy, you're so beautiful. You're so big. You're so awesome. It's that part of you, the real you, that's been reconnected with its source. Reconnected with the one who said, Let me make you my image. This other part of us, is the part that still has certain desires. Some legitimate, some illegitimate. For example, the desire for sex. There's a legitimate outworking of that and an illegitimate outworking of that. The same as having nice clothes. So, my flesh feels like it needs some nice clothes. So that means I can walk into Fashini's, go into the cubicle, 
undress my old stuff, put my new stuff and walk out. No, you can, but there's somebody waiting for you outside. You see, when we talk about the flesh, we talk about that part of you that does gravitate to illegitimate fulfilling of desires and its wants and its thoughts. But it's that part of us that the most important thing for the flesh is, what do you think I look like? Most important thing about the flesh is, I think Bob Mumford and his giants, those giants, I've actually got to look that up. He speaks about those things. How do I feel? How do I look? What do you think of me? Uh, what makes me feel good? Ah, there's a good one. The flesh. What makes me feel good? So whatever makes me feel good. If that's getting high, that's important because the flesh wants to feel good. The flesh wants to feel good. So it might be through um, sexual fantasy or illegitimate sexual activity. Or it could be through a number of things if you let your, your mind play. So for the flesh, it's very important what I look like, what I have, what I do, what people think of me, what makes me feel good. It's all that stuff. Now, can you see a lot of those things are neutral? They're not all bad. That's why if you translate that word flesh as being sinful nature, then the picture is it's all bad. But there's a lot of it that's good. Um, but, but here's a, ho- a couple of scriptures that with regards to, to the flesh, or definition if you like. The flesh is in scripture. But Sorry, I, didn't, I haven't got the references next to them, but I can get them. The flesh is a way to think. The flesh is a way to walk. The flesh works against the spirit. The flesh encourages self-effort. The flesh seeks identity and purpose. We can choose to put confidence in the flesh. So the flesh isn't just blatant sin, like Galatians 5 talks about the sins of the flesh. It can also be that deep desire to be be wanted and accepted and loved. And it bows to peer pressure. You know, people can even become Christians out of a peer pressure and a desire to be accepted and wanted and loved. And I hope that that's the case so they can hear the gospel and get born again. But young man meets young girl. Young girl is very pretty. So young man says, I'll do anything she does. So I'll even go to church. And if needs be, put my hands up in the air. Because girl is pretty. <laughs> Problem is, when they put their best foot forward, it's only a few months later you see what other foot's coming with the with the deal. So what I'm saying is, it's not a bad thing to go to church. It's not a bad thing to, to be part of this church thing for a while. You know, it's okay. Because if it's a, a means to fulfill something, so, so to translate it sinful nature is a bit dangerous in this case. But let's look at some things about the flesh, alright? Corinthians 1.26 will come up. For our cons- For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble. So in the flesh, there's an identity that can be created through your physical appearance. Is that a bad thing? It's neutral. In the flesh, when the Bible talks about being in the flesh, it can talk about an identity that you create by how clever you are, and how intellectual you are, and how much you know. So there's not, is that a bad thing? Might be a bit of a boastful thing, or an arrogant thing, or, but, but you know, it's great to have a good intellect, great to have a good body. Also says, according to the flesh, not many noble. That's talking about your hereditary, you know, who's who in the, you know, Kugel Zoo type, you know, where we, so, so what school did you go to, Dal? Oh, really? My Eisenhauten High School. We don't hang around with Queensborough girls, you know. You know, I live, you know, I'm just from the bluff where the oaks are tough, eh? And and there's an identity. So there's an identity, whether it's with skinhead, motorbike, hell's angel. There's an identity created by what I look like. There's an identity created by how clever I am, my intellect, my ability to to do uh, mental gymnastics. There's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a, a, a kind of an identity created by, by 
where I grew up, what color I am, what school I went to, how I was educated. All those things can constitute an identity, but it's the flesh identity. Paul is talking about a completely different identity when he talks about in Adam, that was your flesh identity, your identity that had the capacity for, for, for self-worth. He's saying, well look at this scripture in Philippians. He goes on and he says, uh, in, in verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, Though I myself have reason for much confidence, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, say the flesh, here you're going to see it, I have more. Now here was his confidence in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, that, that's his tribe, you know, that's his nobility, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, academia, uh, in regard to law, a Pharisee, can we have the next verse please? Verse, for zeal persecuting the church. I mean, that's pretty zealous, eh? Come on. If you're going to be zealous about something, if you say, oh, he's such a good Christian, he's so zealous. Oh, Paul was also very zealous, you know. He even persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, that's the outward righteousness that everybody sees. What you look like, how you sing in church, how you walk in church, how you have a white, and Colin, all that, for all those things he was faultless next verse can you get the next verse for me verse uh, 7 3 7 I know it's not on my notes can we but I just thought of it now that it carries on there oh, we're going to actually have to go to our Bibles for this one okay and he goes on and says but whatever was to my prophet can you see those things were his fleshly identity they were what made him look big and great and clever and smart. Made him, gave him a sense of importance, a sense of value, a sense of being accepted and loved. Whatever they were. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. I now consider loss for the sake... No, hang on, that's the wrong chapter, but chapter 3 and verse 7. For what's more, consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness. Ah, oh, there we go. Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. His reputation went down the tube when he decided to believe on this Jesus Christ. All his years studying as a Pharisee went down the tube. All his great claims to fame and his academia and his scholastic achievements all went down the tube. For the sake I lost all things, I consider them rubbish. And that's a strong word that's not permitted in Christian circles. A dung would be a close equivalent, but uh, we won't go there. That I may gain Christ. What is he talking about gaining Christ? His new identity. You see, this is what this is all about. It's being known for who we are in our identity in Christ. And not needing an identity that's based on something else. When someone says to you, be your true self, what does that mean? Building an identity around myself and my achievements? Or am I really content to have all those achievements considered rubbish that I may be known for one thing, that I have a righteousness in Christ, that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, that the old is gone and the new has come, and I'm not ashamed of that fact. I'm not ashamed to be a born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-loving, devil-hating son of the living God. I'm not ashamed to say I'm friends with God. I'm not ashamed to say in His sight I'm 100% righteousness because that's my identity. got no other identity to cling to, to hang on to, to boast in, to be proud about. So that's why it's important that we understand that the flesh can be the good things we hang on to as bad as the bad things we hang on to. But you are a new creation with righteous desires inside you. Because when God made you, your born again you, He didn't make junk. He didn't make you and leave your sinful nature there. The Bible is very clear that the sinful nature was crucified with Christ. 
That sinful nature that you had was buried in baptism. And that sinful nature wasn't raised from the dead again. My friend, it was obliterated. Your sinful nature, that part of you that was dead to God, that part of you that was the nature, the nature that was sinful is cut off. But we still live in the flesh. We still have the flesh with us. We still have the flesh with us, but we're not the flesh. We still have those desires. Those thoughts. All those things didn't die when we became a Christian. Did you find that out? Did you find you still you the next day when you woke up after you are born again? Oh, I thought I was going to be a completely different person. I thought I was going to be complete. Well, you were. The new you is completely new. And now the new you has to break through and break out. And now Romans 7 and Romans 8, what we read just now, makes a lot more sense. Let's go back there. So Paul has the struggle because he placed himself under law and rules, regulation of religion. He found himself failing again and again. He then comes to understand that it's only in Christ. And verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened. It only was a thermometer. It couldn't change the temperature. It just told man how fallen and how sinful he was. But this is how what God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of flesh to be a sin offering, he condemned sin in sinful man. It was condemned. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The righteous requirements of the law. Who's the only person who's ever fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law? 100%. Those righteous requirements that He fulfilled, now that you in Him are fulfilled in you. You have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. That's what Paul says. It's past. It's gone. It's obsolete. We have now fulfilled the command, the righteousness. It's an intriguing scripture in Matthew chapter 5, around verse 17. Jesus says, He's preaching, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the law of the Pharisees and scribes, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And we'll go, oh, I've got to get more righteous. Oh, I've got to be better. Oh, I've got to, oh, even Jesus said, Jesus said, unless my righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, I'm doomed. I'm never going to inherit. Your righteousness has surpassed the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes by virtue of who you in. By virtue of him who condemned sin in the sinful nature, by virtue of him who's a hundred percent righteous, and it goes on. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Here's an interesting thing. Let's just Dear Lord, how much are we going to get through here? Let, let's just pause there. Can you just look up me for a moment? Just, just so you know that what I'm saying comes out of the Bible. This is very important. Is first of all, your sinful nature has been done away with. Where it says sinful nature, with a footnote flesh, scratch out sinful nature and put a big highlight mark around flesh to understand that flesh is not necessarily always sinful. It's the first thing. Secondly, you've received a new nature. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says, Through these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may be, may be able to... This is going to come up in my notes. Sorry. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. What, what is divine? You know, we use that word a lot. We throw it out, divine. Oh, sweetheart, that was divine. Oh, that food was divine. You know, that, divine is actually a very holy word. Divine is... Is, is, is holy. In divine nature, that's the way we've escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. It's because we've received a divine nature. A new nature has been put in us. The real you. The real me. Now we've got to understand that. Because if we don't, we're not going to get this right. We have to depend on his nature in us. To be true to myself, I have to depend on my new nature. Not on 
my flesh. When it comes to temptation, if I rely on my flesh with willpower and a New Year's resolution, I'm not going to gamble again. I'm not going to gamble again. Ding, 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 ding. I hear those, what's that, all those like, jingle, jingle, jingles in my head. I'm not gonna, while I'm relying on my flesh to resist temptation, it's just a matter of time because any laws and rules begin to suck us in that direction. That's human nature. We were told a four-year-old, do not put your hand in the cookie jar. You'll see how the sinful nature manifests. But if I start believing that the new nature that is given me, the new man I really am, that, that if I'm going to be my true self, that, and that person, I don't have to rely on my flesh. I just have to rely on His Word. I have to rely on Him. Lord, You have given me a new nature. I'm not like that anymore. The flesh might still pull me in that direction. I might still feel certain conditioning and attractions and certain... But that's not the real me anymore. Because if we don't get that right, we get confused. Oh, it's just me again. You know, I'm just like my father and his father and his father. I always feel condemned. I'm always feeling... You know, it's just my old sinful nature. No, no, you can't have that excuse anymore. It was just the devil. No, no, it might be the devil, but, but you've got no excuse anymore because you've got a new nature. And now because of that new nature, it says, when I set my mind after what the Spirit wants... I can choose now, according to that scripture in Romans, I can set after what the, it says in Romans 8 verse 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Because the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws. Nor can it. It's impossible. It's like just a thermometer. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the, sin, by the flesh, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead. Remember, you're crucified with Christ because of sin, buried and raised again. But your spirit is alive because now you've been declared righteous, given 100% righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He's going to give life to your physical bodies who lives in you. Now, there's a whole lot in there. So, so as Christians now, we've we got to walk with this kind of tension. We've got to walk with this, I'm a new man in Christ, but I feel tempted at times. I do get wrong thoughts. I do say bad things. I do make wrong decisions. But just because I make wrong decisions, do wrong things, say wrong things, isn't indicative that I have a sinful nature. It's indicative that I haven't lived, I haven't lived according to the Spirit in this con situation. Because you, you'll notice, and we don't have that much time to go through here, but it talks about being in the Spirit and living and somewhere else, living according to the Spirit. Another place, being in the flesh, and another place, living according to the flesh. Do you see that? Those, in verse 5, those who live according to. Um, the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit. And then later on in verse 8 it says, those controlled by the sinful nature. And it says in verse 9, you are not controlled. And the King James uses two different words. Because they're two different. The one is, before you were born again, you were just controlled by the sinful nature, or the flesh. Whether that was good things or bad things. You were just controlled by it. Controlled by good things to make an impression. Controlled by bad things just to get into... To, sin. But now that you're born again, if the Spirit is living in you, you don't have to live controlled by the fl this flesh anymore. You can live controlled by the Spirit. If you set your mind on the Spirit. Whereas the, someone who's not been born again, they can't do that. 
The best he can do is imitate. The best he can do is willpower. The best he can do is New Year's resolutions. But he's just left feeling guilty and condemned or eventually gets to self-righteousness and compares himself with like the hobo drunkard in the street and says, I'm not that bad anyway. And anyway, God loves all people the same and makes some ridiculous uh, assumptions about how God relates to us because he won't accept the simplicity of the truth. That as an unregenerate, unreborn, reborn person, without the Spirit of God controlling us, I'm controlled by the sinful nature, the flesh, in that case. But as a born-again person, I don't have that excuse anymore. Now I can truly be myself. You know, when you get a desire to do something good, you know that's the true you. That's the real you. And, and that, that a Christ-like attitude... Is just normal for your new created spirit. In fact, when you do things that are co- according to the flesh, when we allow ourselves to set our mind on things of the flesh, our spirit in us goes, no, that's not me. The newborn again person inside of you goes, I don't, I don't actually like that. But the flesh is strong. And if it's control, if, if we set our minds on it to be fulfilled, then, then, then that's the way it goes. You know you need glasses when you try and read your Bible upside down. That's just the flesh. You are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit is living inside of you. That's your new identity. That's why Jesus could say, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and scribes. When we walk in the flesh, we're not being our true selves. Last scripture, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we, when we walk after the flesh, we are not being our true selves. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, in, say, in Christ Jesus, to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's already put inside the DNA of the new person He's made you to be good works that are going to be the Christ-like behavior, the Christ-like attitudes. You say, I can never be like Jesus. No, the real you inside you actually wants to be like Jesus. Not the way you dress and your pious picture of walking through the desert. No, Jesus, how he would be with us today. That same desire is inside of you. And that's hence the title. Learn to be ourselves. Learn to be yourself. Learn to be that person that God created you to be. You see, as we hold these two tensions in our mind, I've got this new created person I am, the true me, the real me, that doesn't feel ashamed before God because judgment has passed, doesn't feel condemned before God because Christ was condemned for me, doesn't feel uh, sin consciousness because Jesus became our sin, The real me that knows now, I live in total grace, unearned, unmerited favor. Nothing God doesn't want to do to to bless me, to prosper me, to, to, in every way, because of what the miracle He's done in my life. We need to be established in that. But at the same time, we've got this ongoing reality. And the mistake we make is because we feel tempted, we think it's us. It was a Billy Graham who said, just because a thought comes to you doesn't mean it came from you. We get a thought. Oh, there I go again. Oh, how could I even think such a terrible thing? Now, you just made a mistake in your language and your thinking. You didn't think such a terrible thing. Just because a thought came to you doesn't mean it came from you. Thoughts can have other sources, demonic sources, and the flesh, which has got an ally called sin, but we'll talk about that next week. But the flesh, the taste, Touch, smell, feel, what I look like, what you think of me, what makes me feel good, what makes me feel nice. Flesh part of me, which can pretend to be very religious and pious, or it can just go into total drug and, and promiscuous living. The flesh can do what it likes. It, it's, it's earthbound. It's earth conscious. It's in the physical terra firma. 
It's always going to be with us until Jesus comes, because only then we get our resurrected bodies, our new bodies that aren't going to have that. But right now, the real you, if you took yourself out of your body right now, would be a righteous, holy, in the image of God, the real you created as if you were in the garden before sin happened, that can have beautiful communion with God, that can have fellowship with Him all the time. And when evil thoughts come and sinful thoughts, instead of just accepting them as ours, we've got to recognize, that's not like me. I don't think those thoughts anymore. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm a new species of being on earth. And now that spirit in me is going to dominate over those thoughts. That's why Jesus had to resist Satan in the wilderness by the Word of God. We have to let the Word of God renew our minds so that we come to that point where we're totally convinced about who we are in Christ and how He relates to us at every level. And when that happens, we're going to find we recognize the desires of the flesh, we recognize the, the, the pride of the flesh, we recognize the arrogance of the flesh, we recognize the flagrant uh, sinfulness of the flesh, and we're able to say no. No longer do we have an excuse to say, well, it's just me, you know, I'm like my father and his grandfather. We don't have that excuse anymore because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit lives in us. So we can say no to sinfulness and we can say yes to God because that's the true you. And when you're living like that, you're being yourself. Amen? When you're living like that, you're being yourself. Let's stand up together. Lord, what a wonderful miracle you've done in us. Nothing we can boast in, nothing that can make us feel proud, nothing that can compare with anybody else, but just Jesus, your blood, and your blood alone. Your regeneration in our inmost man who was dead and separated from you has come alive. And because of that miracle, we stand here tonight and we can say, God, we're not going to let the enemy bamboozle our mind with you just like that. That's just your sinful nature. No longer, because we have been raised and seated in heavenly places. We have the capacity to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age by your grace, by your strength, not depending on the flesh, not depending on willpower, not depending on New Year's resolution, but depending on your spirit and your spirit alone. We say, Jesus, this is how we began, by putting our faith in you. And this is how we plan to walk the rest of our lives. You've done the miracle. You've made the change. You've given us a new heart. You've put your laws in our minds. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't leave this place tonight thinking what I need to do right and what I need to do wrong. We leave this place tonight going, thank you, Lord, that we are new creations. New creations. And we want to be that because that's the most fulfilled and satisfied we will ever be by just being the real me that you created me to be. Just while every head's bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you if you've come into this place tonight and you don't know if you've ever been born again. You don't know if your spirit has ever been regenerated. 